coming into Zinesville, I'd be like, dude, you gotta eat at Bub's Burgers, all right? Like, that settle for less elk, like, that was actually our last family meal here. It's fantastic. If, if it was anywhere in the world, um, it would be the Waterway Cafe, which is near where we used to live in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, right there on the intercoastal, beautiful seafood and regular food, too. Uh, but maybe for you, it might be something like a man-made attraction, and I haven't really traveled internationally, uh, just Mexico and Canada, and so for me, it would be the Empire State Building. There was something about that. I know it's a tourist thing and so forth, but if you're going to New York City, I would say, man, you gotta see it. It's just iconic. It's great. But m maybe something for you, it might be something that, like, in nature, like, you might be like, man, you have to see the cornfields of Indiana. Like, said no, said no one ever, right? I've lived in the, near the ocean, and the ocean is amazing, but I would say it's the Appalachian Mountains in the fall. Uh, we've been to Tennessee in the fall. It is one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen, and if you ever have the opportunity, you have to see it. There are things that cause us to say, you have to check this out. This is incredible. But the key to this is almost always that we have experienced these things for ourselves, right? It, it's, I wouldn't tell somebody, I wouldn't say, dude, you have to go see the Grand Canyon, I'd say I'd like to see the Grand Canyon, but I've never seen it, so I really can't tell you much about it. And I think this might be why we don't talk about heaven. Uh, can I see a show of hands of how many of you have been to heaven? Yeah. And some of you are like, uh, Rob, people have been to heaven. I've seen the movie. Uh, we're, we're not going to get into that. If you, uh, we're not going to get into that because I think God's word will be clear here. Um, but the thing is, we don't talk about things that we have not experienced. We like to tell about things that we have. And I think that should change this morning because by one count, Jesus talked about heaven 192 times in the New Testament in one way or another, which would be about 10% of the words that he spoke. Well, sure he did. That's because he experienced heaven. Well, yeah, that means he knows what he's talking about. But when Jesus was on earth, he was not talking about the place where he would go when he would ascend. Did you know that? Did you know that there's multiple heavens? We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but the point here is we need to know what the Bible says about heaven because to not talk about it is a trick of the enemy. And remember the enemy, right? The spiritual world that, that we can't see. We're saying, God, open our eyes that we would see it, and he throws lies at us. And one of the lies, one of the things that he'll do is to get us to say, nah, you don't really need to think about heaven. Uh, it's going to be boring. I've heard people say, I've heard Christians say that. It would make sense if there was an enemy, which there is, that he would want to get us to ignore heaven. And so this morning, we're going to let the enemy know what we think of his plan by talking about heaven. And then the encouragement to you is going to be to leave this place and talk about heaven because the enemy is a loser, right? I'm not afraid to say that, right? Because I'm not even going to say his name. And uh, actually, why don't we just go ahead and let the enemy know he's a loser? You've probably never done this. Make the sign. That's to him. Some of you are just like, that's right. That's what we think of you. And, uh, so, and we've already prayed, so he'll have nothing to do with this time this morning. And so find Revelation chapter 21 in your Bible. Uh, I'm going to start with some other verses, but get a copy of God's Word in front of you. This will be the easiest time you've ever had finding something in the Bible because you just go to the back and you flip one chapter. Uh, so I'm going to answer a question. Uh, there's a question which is, if a believer were to die today, where would they go? Man, that is a great question. I know, I wrote it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 through 9. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore... We are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, which is where we are right now, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. That verse 7 should be underlined in every Bible. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home 
in the body or away from it. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So first he's saying, look, we're always confident in this truth. And we know that while we are home in the body, that we are physically away from the Lord. And so we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't physically see the Lord. So the fact that we believe in him is walking by faith, not by sight. He says, but we're confident that being with him is better. That if you're truly a believer, you recognize, I would rather be with him than be here. And there's some days, maybe we feel differently, but, but then he goes on to say this. Uh, let me look again at this. And he says in verse um, seven, he says, we'd prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord, so we make it our goal to please him. And then verse 10, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And he says, we're gonna receive to us what is due. One day we're gonna be held accountable for this life. And so we make it our aim to please him. Let me just stop right there. Maybe some of you are saying, well, please God. I'm not so sure about that. If pleasing God is not the driving passion of your heart, there is an issue at the core of your spiritual life. I know for me, working with students over the years, sometimes it comes up when somebody's talking about a member of the opposite sex that they're interested in. Well, they kind of go to church. Well, they're in youth group. Yeah, yeah, but do they want to please God? Do they wake up every day and say, God, how can I please you? How can I serve you? How can I live for you? Because that's the aim of every believer. That's where we should be. You want to know where you should be? You want to know what God wants for you? It's that. God's like, I want you to look into every day, to look and say, God, what can I do to please you? Not please men, not please ourselves. But to be away from the body is to be home with the Lord. And so the answer to the question of where does a believer go when they die is to be with the Lord. Okay, that's pretty cool. So then if there's another question that's developed there, if a believer goes to be with the Lord when they die, where's the Lord? Another great question. You guys are on a roll. Deuteronomy 4.39 says this. Acknowledge and take to heart this day the Lord is... Let me say it again. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven, above and on the earth below. There is no other. All right, so God is in heaven. Matthew 18.10. Anything in the New Testament? Well, Jesus says, See to it that you do not despise these little ones, for I tell you, they're angels in heaven. Always see the face of my Father in heaven. So he's in heaven. So if we're away from the body and we're with the Lord and the Lord is in heaven, where do believers go when they die? Heavens. I think I've confused you. You're like, heaven? Yes, heaven. Tell the person next to you, say, I already knew that. Okay, know-it-alls. Calm down a little bit because the Bible, the Bible refers to multiple heavens. 2 Corinthians 12, 2, the apostle Paul, he says, I, I knew a man that was caught up into the third heaven. And most people believe Paul's talking about himself. What's that about? The third heaven, Paul also called paradise. And so the context here, you can read about it, but basically Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. He says, whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. But this man, God knows all these things, was caught up to paradise. And he heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. And so Paul's saying, Dad, there was like this experience and he was caught up to the third heaven, which is paradise, and, and he saw these inexpressible things. Paradise sounds familiar to me, though. Where, where have I heard that? How about when Jesus was on the cross? Remember the thief? Jesus, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in? In paradise, the third heaven, the place where God dwells for now. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. If a believer died today, you would immediately be present with the Lord in paradise or the third heaven. 
Well, if there's three heavens, what are the other two? Well, it appears from God's word that the first heaven is the sky we see during the day. Genesis 1 speaks of the expanse that separates the water from the earth and from the water in the sky, right? So the atmosphere and so forth from the water and the earth, and they refer to that as the heaven. Psalm 19.1 says the heavens declare the glory of God, talking about the night sky. And so breaking it all down, the first heaven is the sky that we see, right? The beautiful atmosphere that we see every day. The second heaven is the space, right? We look up to the heavens and we see all the stars. And the third heaven is the dwelling place of God. All that background to say this, Revelation chapter 21. Revelation was written by the apostle John, right? Peter, James, and John. John wrote another book in the Bible. What was it? Mark. No, it's John. And he is. You're right. And he also wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. You guys are really smart today. I appreciate that so much. Um, And so it was written by him in 95, 96 AD. And John had been exiled to an isle called Patmos. And he wrote about things that he experienced. He tells what he's seeing as he writes in sequence. And throughout this book, he says, and I saw, and then I saw. This is what he actually experienced. He saw this. And so Revelation 21.1 says this, then I saw, I think I just said that, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. All right, I got to explain the then. Then I saw, well, what happened before that? This is after what is known as the great white throne judgment. Loved ones, you do not want to be at the great white throne judgment. You don't want to be judged there. The only way out of that, according to God's word in Revelation 20, is to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Book of life in these days would be a book uh, that, so like if, if it was Whitestown book of life, it would have everyone who is a citizen of Whitestown would have their name in there. The only way to get your name in the book of life is to recognize that there's nothing you can do to earn God's approval And so you grab a hold of what God has already done for you through Jesus. And you get your name in the book. Otherwise, you stand before the great white throne. And at the great white throne, you are um, pronounced guilty. God will demonstrate how guilty you are for your sin. We're all guilty, but if you're a believer, Jesus has, has cleansed you. And he has declared you not guilty. The great white throne is where those who reject Christ will be judged. And you do not want that. And you can get your name in the book today, and we'll talk about this a few times. Start thinking about this. You yield your life to Jesus. You recognize that I could never earn my way to him, that I need Jesus in my life. But this morning, we have four things about heaven, and the first one is this. In heaven, everything is new. Revelation 21.1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth that had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So all three, all three realms of heaven that we talked about will be gone. The earth, gone. The sea, gone. No more Grand Canyon, no more Rocky Mountain, no more of earth's majestic uh, m- m- creations like the Geist Reservoir, right? All gone. That was semi-sarcastic in case you missed that. Some of you are like, it is beautiful. Don't start. Um, okay. The, that, that's like uh, in, in, in Iowa, they told me, they said, we do baptisms at the beach, I was like, you know, I lived in Florida, right? (laughs) Anyway, and then some guy comes up to me and goes, it's not really a beach. Thanks for that. I was really confused. (laughs) Anyway, but the word for new actually means new from old. And so uh, years ago, I went to Lambeau Field uh, where the Green Bay Packers play. Any Packers fans in here? Yeah, we got a few. Uh, (laughs) Did somebody just boo? Oh, there you go. All right. Uh, Lambeau Field built in 1956, but then in 2011, they renewed it. 
what they did is they kind of did this uh, um, uh, where they, they kept the foundation, they didn't knock it down, and they kind of retrofitted everything, and they made it new from old. And when I was there, it was after, it was after 2011, and it was like, it was so beautiful. It was literally right after they did it. It's like, this is a brand new stadium, isn't it? Like, this looks incredible. And so what this means, what this means in relation to God's word is God's going to do this to an extreme degree, uh, extreme degree. And and what he's going to do is he's going to take what's already here. He's not just going to like suspend us in the air and destroy the earth and then build a brand new one. He's going to renew everything and it's going to be all new. We'll get more to that in a minute. But if a believer died today, yes, they go to the third heaven, the dwelling place of God. But one day God's work on this earth will be done and he will reveal the new heaven and the new earth. In John 14, Jesus talked about this. Jesus said, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Where did Jesus go? To prepare a place for us. And if I go and prepare a place for you, he said, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna take you with me so that you can be where I am. And he says, you know the way to the place I'm going. And Thomas is like, well, no, we don't. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And so this is incredible. What Jesus is saying is, hey, I'm gonna go when he ascended, and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna prepare a place for you. And it's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth. The new earth is where people live. The new heaven is is the new planetary space, a new atmosphere. And Jesus is saying, you wanna know how to get there, though? Yeah, you're looking at him. If, if If you're on the I'm gonna be good enough method, Jesus is saying, no, I am the way. Eh, there's many ways. Well, no, Jesus is saying, I am the way. There are no alternative methods. To get to heaven, Jesus is saying, you have to go through me. But think about this, though. Think about everything being new. How long did it take Jesus to create the earth? How long? Six days? You guys are really confident. Six days? How long has he been gone from heaven, or from the earth? A couple thousand years? Did he do a good job on this one? You ever been to the ocean? You ever seen the stars at night, the mountains? Six days. The new heaven and the new earth, thousands of years. He is applying his infinite creativity to it. Like this, I just imagine him like, mm, no, I can do better. No, I can, mm, how about this? Yes, they're gonna love this. And he's been working on this for thousands of years. How do we know? Because Jesus said, I am going to prepare a place. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of thing that just like blows my mind, right? It's like, 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 less like that, right? Blows my mind, right? Little Kramer, like Isaiah 65, 17. For those of you young people, that was a really good show that was on in the 90s. I knew I was old in student ministry when I started making Seinfeld references and they just stared at me. Um, Isaiah 65, 17, see, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. This is Old Testament. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Yeah, but I'm really going to miss the, the whatever. No, no, you won't. You won't even think about it because what you're going to see is going to be so awesome and so mind-blowing, you're never even going to think about what was. You look down at verse 5 in Revelation 21, you see, it says, He who is seated on the throne, Jesus, said, I am making everything new. Now this again means, old, uh, means new from old, but also in the original language it implies a continual newness. And it makes sense when you consider who God is. Believers are there forever, and, and if not for this, eventually, wouldn't all the new stuff feel kind of old? I mean, we, we, we'll never get that feeling. We love new stuff. You know, you get a new house, you get a new car, you get a new phone, a new boat, or whatever. Uh, God's nature, though, is to 
make things new. So we'll be in this place of continual newness. And there's some great things at first when you see it. You know, like when I lived by the ocean, the first couple times, it was like, this is awesome. Eventually, I mean, it's still cool, but it's not like, let's just stop and just, eventually, it's just kind of like, oh, look, there's the ocean. Look, and we're just driving home. Heaven's not going to be like that. You're there for heaven for, let's say, I don't know, 100 billion years. Someone's like, hey, you going to worship today? Yeah, do you know what we're singing? A brand new song. Really? Again? We're not going to do Hillsong again and again? Like, really? Like, like. No, it's brand new. Hey, 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 what are you having for dinner tonight? Yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I hear it's something brand new. Like just constant newness. Do you really think God's going to be like, I'm, I'm out. I got no more ideas. Think about that. Who God is, he will never run out of ways to make things new. New activities. Hey, what are you doing tonight? Hey, there's this new game that we're going to play. Hey, there's this new thing we're going to go do. Do we really think God will run out? All right, so everything is new. Second thing is God is here forever. God is here forever. I feel like I could just drop the mic right there because he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. So on the new earth, there's this holy city, and it's called the New Jerusalem. And holy means set apart from God, set apart for God. And that means the place where believers are going to spend eternity is sinless. No sin. It's perfect. See, God made things a certain way, and sin messed that up. And one day, God fixes it and takes away the possibility of that ever being ruined again. Because in heaven, God fixes things. The city is holy, and nothing will change. What, what do they call Las Vegas? Sin city? You guys knew that way too fast. You guys knew that, but you didn't know how many days the earth was made. Let's just dwell on that for a second. Anyway, just kidding, kind of. Um, sin city, this is the opposite of that. It's the holy city because God is here forever. The holy city then also, it comes down uh, from heaven, from God. And so God has something amazing for us. And verse two says it, it's coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So at a wedding, the bride dresses beautifully for her husband, and the idea is the husband's standing up here, right, kind of shaking, a little nervous, right, and then he sees the bride, and he's just like, whoa. <laughs> First wedding I ever did, a young man standing there, this guy Bill, and he's just kind of chilling, and then all of a sudden his wife comes, or his fiance at the time, comes around and looks, and I heard him go, whoa. It was awesome. That's the nice things about doing weddings, is you get to that kind of stuff, that's how God has prepared the city. The city is the bride, and that makes us, the church, the body of believers, the groom. Think about this. You and I, we are guilty before God. Like, our, by practice, we are guilty. We deserve punishment for our sin. And God has said, no, I'm going to take that upon myself. I'm going to stand in your place on the cross. I'm going to fix your relationship with me if you'll believe. And then he says, and then I'm going to prepare this city for you. That's going to be so awesome. I imagine he's like somebody giving a gift. You know, if you give somebody a really nice gift, you, you can't wait to see them open it, right? And you're just kind of like, and you want the reaction, right? And you want the, really, like that? Like, it's just kind of the, like, I, I imagine God's like that. He's so excited about this. Everybody say, wow. Wow. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. 
and he will dwell with them. Man, I underline that in my Bible. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. You know, in the Bible, we often see God described as seated on a throne. Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and lifted up. No more. Now he's with us. We're going to dwell, or we're going to draw near to him in ways we never thought possible. Think about the closeness described here. 1 Corinthians 13 says that now we see dimly, but one day we will see face to face with Jesus. That's why we live our life. We live our life for him. So one day when we get there, can you just imagine if you kind of were like, well, I kind of, I mean, I, I received Jesus, but I didn't really passionately live for him, but I mean, I was saved. And then, and then there he is. It's like, hi, I'm, he's, he's Jesus. Like, I want to look at him and be like, you're the one I lived my whole life for. You're the one that everything was about. Can we hang out? Can we, can we, can we throw a football around? Can we do something? Like, can we, like, that's the kind of closeness we are going to have with him. He is here. And because he's here, Everything changes. That's the third thing. Everything changes. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So remember, he's made all things new. He says, uh, here it says, the old order of things have passed away. And what's with the new order? Well, how about no reason to ever be sad or depressed? Think about that. The joy we will experience from being in God's presence and being in this holy, perfect place will be greater than anything we've ever experienced. People are like, is heaven going to be boring? You will have more joy after being there for like a moment than you've ever had at any point in your life. Think of the greatest moment of your life. You won't even compare it. You won't even remember that. No crying, no death, no funerals, no graveyards, no hearing you've lost someone, no terminal illnesses, never again. No mourning. I mean, why would you mourn? Nobody dies, right? There's no sin. Nothing bad ever happens. No pain. No physical suffering. No aches and pains. No emotional hurt. No loneliness. And these things are here now, and they shape us. They make us more like Jesus. People say, why does God allow things like that to happen? It was never his intention for us to experience that pain, but we chose sin, right? We all have chose sin, and this world is broken. And what's God been doing since then? He's been working to fix it. That's why Jesus died, so he can fix us with him. And then he is working through the church to try to restore things to the way that they should be. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And one day, he's going to say, that's right, enough's enough. And he's going to bring the new city down. And you know what? His way will happen always. God uses these things in our life to prepare us for heaven. That's what he's doing in your life. What's God doing? Why am I going? He's preparing you for heaven because you're going to be there a lot longer than you're going to be here. His focus is always on eternity. He makes it clear in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus himself said this. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store, well, let me, just, let me just say this about store up your treasures in, in, on earth. You know, it's, isn't it weird when you can fit everything you own in a truck? <laughs> like, think about that. My kids were saying that yesterday. Like, everything you own, it's like, that's it? That's what I got? That's my life? Don't store that up, because that's meaningless. But, verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And so God's focus is on heaven I just want to know, do you live with the reality of heaven in mind? Are you anticipating heaven? Do you give advanced thought to the place that you will spend far longer as a believer than you will here? And if you're not a believer, 
And you're gonna wanna get that settled because the reality of this should impact all of our perspective, but especially believers. You wake up, you're in pain, things are going wrong, you fail something, you have a breakup, you suffer some kind of hurt, loss, and someone says, how you doing? You says, I'm doing great. How are you doing great? Because I'm going to heaven. Because no matter what I face in this earth, there are better days ahead. And I'm not trying to diminish anybody's hurt or pain. I know it's real and God draws near in that. But I'm just trying to tell you that for a believer, you can be absolutely, positively, totally and completely confident that there are better days ahead. It's not a cliche. It is reality. Because one day, everything changes. No more hurt. No more pain. Get your eyes on the prize. Stop looking here and start looking there. Stop storing up things here and start storing up things there. You ever wonder, why do people uh, uh, give so generously? Why do people serve so sacrificially? Why do people love so recklessly? Why would people do those things? Because what's up there is going to last a lot longer. And I'm trying to store up things for, for heaven. That's why we encourage you guys to serve in the kids' ministry, to serve in the music ministry, to serve in everywhere in this church, to go out and impact the community. Because, again, you're storing up treasures in heaven. And so if you're, not, if you're as a believer and you're not rolling up your sleeves every week with some kind of kingdom responsibility, you are missing out. You are storing up treasures on earth and not in heaven. As you're investing in other people, you want, again, you want to help them have an eternal perspective because the trick of the enemy is to think about right now instead of thinking about then. Everything changes. The last thing for this morning, number four, is the hard reality, and that is that heaven is exclusive. So you know those clubs that they have that only members can get in, right? Members only. I don't really know anything about them because nobody's ever let me in one, but I've heard they exist. And the, the truth is, verse six tells us that Jesus says, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To those, to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And verse seven, those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. I've underlined those who are victorious. You see, God has blessed you and I, but you know he holds back? He's working to make us more like him. He's preparing us for eternity. He's getting, ready, getting us ready for the time that's infinitely more longer, infinitely longer than our time here. And one day, he doesn't hold back anymore. What's his is ours. He gives us what we don't deserve. And it's like a father leaving an inheritance for a child. God shares it with us, and it'll satisfy us so much more than we've ever experienced. I've heard somebody say once that, you know, you get to heaven, and you know, they say, there you are, and, you're, and someone's like, uh, and you're like, I don't, I don't know, I just feel more satisfied than I ever have. And someone's like, why? How long you been here? About two seconds. Like, it's just, like, like the one who made you, the one who knows what satisfies, it says he will give you more satisfaction than you ever had in this life. How can, how can someone possibly not choose sin when sin is, because sin is only good for a season and because I know that God is the only one who can satisfy and one day I'm gonna be in that place so I can say no to these things here then I, because one day I wanna stand before him and I wanna say, you know what? I was victorious because heaven is not for everyone. It says it is for those who are victorious. But what does that mean? We'll look down at Revelation 21.8. It says the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. As we gotta stop ignoring things in God's word that maybe make us feel a little uncomfortable, things that we don't like. And we gotta look at a verse like this and say, what is, what is that talking about? It says those who continue in things, those who continue in unbelief, they've not been victorious. How did lying get in there? All liars. They're not victorious. 
Those who continue in sexual sin, not victorious. And here Jesus is saying, those people, those who continue in those things, they're not going to heaven. I want you to hear this. If your faith isn't changing you, your faith hasn't saved you. If you're not more like Jesus today than you were six months ago, a year ago, you're not a better husband, father, son, daughter, brother, friend, you gotta really look back to the core of your spiritual life because if your faith isn't changing you, your faith hasn't saved you. And this is about being victorious over a life of sin and something you cannot do by trying harder or being good. You can only do it by trusting Jesus, by recognizing what God has done for you on the cross, that he has stood in your place and believing in him to change you. You see, heaven is exclusive. In a room this size, we're all not going to heaven. But here's the thing, we all can. Romans 10, 13 says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who responds to what he has done on the cross will be saved. So if you're within the sound of my voice and you're like, man, I don't know, I don't know if I'm going to heaven, you can change that. Because if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Everyone can have their broken relationship with God fixed. Loved ones, respond to Jesus. We'll talk about how to do that in just one moment, but Revelation 19.1 talks about the victorious people a little more, and I had to share this. He says, uh, I heard what sounded like a great roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to God. And I just wanted to pause and just ask, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, what do you suppose that sounds like? A great roar, the roar of a great multitude. You ever heard Niagara Falls? Like, you know, something... I ever heard just like a super loud concert or something like that? I think it's going to be more than that. Don't you want to be a part of that? The celebration of those who overcome to say, hey, you know what? Life threw some stuff at me and sin looked so good, but I chose Jesus. He reached into my life and he gave me hope. And I quit trying to be good enough. I quit trying to do it on my own. And through him, I'm victorious. Because it's not about how good you are. It's about realizing that you could never be good enough. And so you're grabbing a hold of Jesus in your place. If you're here this morning and you've just never done that, all you have to do, it's simple, is just come to that realization. I remember when I was 16 years old and I sat in the living room of Dave Brumbach and it was just a simple, Lord, I recognize that I need you and I'm a sinner. I recognize that Jesus stood in my place. And so I just ask you to come in my life by faith and I'm gonna follow you as best as I can right now. That's the, it's that simple. It's a yielding of faith. And I just wanna say, because I know, I know some of you, you come in here every week and, and, and do you know that 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 you know you're going to heaven? If you're not sure, like you can know. Like if you're a believer, you're confident of that. Remember Paul said that in 2 Corinthians, we are confident. If you're not confident, maybe, it's, maybe this is your morning. Maybe this is your time and maybe you just need to have that yielding and, and if you do that, it's not, a, not something you keep to yourself. You gotta tell somebody. You gotta tell somebody today and so I just wanna invite you and encourage you, you know, after the service, there's gonna be some, I mean, they're gonna do a couple things after I'm done here and there's gonna be some people standing up here. Just come up here. Oh, that's weird. Exactly, so what? Like, it's like, it's heaven we're talking about and just come up and just be like, I'm not sure or I just, can you just pray for me, right? That's what people wanna do here and guys, I just, I just want you to be there. I speak for most everybody in this room. Heaven is exclusive, but today, if you hear his voice, the Bible says don't harden your heart. All right, one more thing. Revelation chapter three, verse 21. It says this. To the one who is victorious, 
and this is Jesus, I give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Man, I don't know what to do with that verse. Think about this. He says, not only do you get to be in heaven, the holy city, where everything's continually new, where everything changes, there's no more hurt and pain. But he says, you get to sit with me on my throne. Look at the comparison he makes. I will give the right to sit on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. So just as Jesus, who died for the sins of the world, got to sit on the throne of the father, he's like, yeah, by the way, if you're victorious, you get to sit on my throne. Guys, I don't know about you, but I want to sit on that throne. Like, I don't, I don't deserve that. None of us ever could. But I want to finish the race, and I want him, I mean, just think about that. Like, you're just going to be like, Jesus, like, I can't believe it. Like, I've seen you. I lived my whole life for you. And he's going to be like, yeah, have a seat. What, what? you know, you know, Kramer should come up there again. It's like, you know, it's like, guys, do you, do you want to sit on that throne? You know, do, do you want to be victorious? The reason we did this series is to open our eyes to the spiritual realities in this world to recognize that there is an enemy who is real and powerful and prowls around like a roaring lion. We did this series so we would ask God to open our eyes. And the truth is, we don't live with heaven in mind. I know for me, I was so, as I'm reading this message, as I'm writing this message, I was kind of like, man, I don't think about that. And that's why Paul uses words in the New Testament like momentary affliction. And I know some of you have had a really hard year. And some of you have been going through some really tough stuff. Some that we know about, some we don't. I'm just trying to say there's better days ahead. Hold on to Jesus. And some of you come here, maybe your first time, or maybe you've been here a few times, and, and you don't know that you know that you know. And this is, this is that morning for you. Be encouraged by this word. There are better days ahead. Let's pray together. And so, Father, as we hold on to the hope of heaven, would you continue to draw us near to yourself in a new and real way? Father, as there are people within the sound of my voice who if truth was told, there's a stirring in their heart even right now, kind of just saying, man, I don't know. Would you just give them the faith to come up here at the end here and just uh, ask someone to pray for them, to vocalize and verbalize the things that are in their heart? And for those of us, Lord, that right now are going through a really tough time, would you set our, our, our eyes on the hope that is heaven, that there are better days ahead, not because of anything we've done, not because of our plans, or, but because of Jesus, because, because you have said, hey, I am coming soon. Lord, that's just my prayer as we grab a hold of this, that we would not lose the reality of heaven. We love you and we need you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.